Hello, climate change. Whoa, my phone just went off. Nine o'clock. I gotta make a phone call. Hi, Ken. Good morning. Good morning. Um, well, thank you so much for talking with me. I'm 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 actually really excited about this conversation because you, you know it's a it's a realm that I feel um, like I don't know much about and feel a little intimidated by. So, um, so let me just say for people listening that um, so I'm talking to Ken Marino today, who is what what can you t- just say what you are? I. I don't want to say it wrong. I know I know that you are, serve as a mentor for 350.org in terms of um, institutions looking at divesting. But but say a little bit more about it yourself. No, actually, I, I'm not affiliated with 350.org, uh, but I work uh, with a company called Mission Markets, and uh, we, we're working on uh, helping companies involved in renewable energy and other uh, biotech-type uh, activities to uh, find investors that are looking to invest in, in alternatives to fossil fuel. Okay, so so just so that I understand what I'm getting wrong there, um, I found you through 350.org. That you were you were listed as one of the people who who offer yourself as a mentor. Is that did I get that wrong? Uh, well, it's true that uh, if uh, there are student groups on various campuses that are uh, working towards divestment on their campuses, and I signed up to be available as a resource to those groups if if they uh, sought out um, uh, professional experience in financial services. Okay. So that's great. Um, and and you also mentioned that your daughter is involved in three... I, I mean, I think I want to just start by getting to know you a little, and then I'll get into my questions about the finances. Um, and so besides talking about your daughter, I'm also just curious where your interest in in um, in this topic came from. Okay. Well, I've, I've been long interested in the environment and... Uh, participated in the first Earth Day, which gives you an indication of my age, um, <laughs> and uh, have, have long held views that we need to uh, curtail uh, the emissions that we have, and as science has developed and learned more about the effect of that, it becomes only that much more urgent. Uh, my daughter is involved in 350.org and uh, helping organizing camp- uh, the divestment campaign for cities and universities. Mm. Um, and so it makes for interesting uh, dinner uh, conversations. <laughs> I'm sure it does. Um, do you think you could uh, talk a little bit about what divestment means and why it matters? Yes. So uh, divestment is the term that's used to describe people not investing in companies that are involved in fossil fuel uh, production or refining. Um, So uh, in terms of investment, what that means is that uh, as people hold uh, money under uh, 401ks or IRAs that, uh, that, that we're asking people to be conscious of what they're investing in. And, uh, so divestment uh, was used uh, back uh, during the apartheid uh, in South Africa where 
groups that ask uh, universities and towns and pension funds not to invest in companies doing business in South Africa so long as apartheid continued. And that was a moral call. And similarly, uh, the divestment out of fossil fuels is also a moral call that if we know that uh, the consumption of fossil fuels at the rate we're consuming them is going to uh, increase CO2 levels uh, and other harmful gases that will trap heat and raise the earth temperatures, which has uh, several follow-on consequences that uh, we know that we're working towards our own destruction. So it's certainly a moral and a... Um, uh, urgent issue that we curtail its use and find alternatives. Right, and and um, to the people who say that why why would divestment make a difference? Um, because somebody else will just come and and buy up those shares or whatever. What what would you say to that? Well, that that is actually a, a legitimate possibility. But what happens is if you think of what are called the thin socks, uh, which are tobacco and alcohol and, uh, and gambling. Yeah. Those stocks, uh, many investors shy away from them, and it raises the cost of capital for those firms. So uh, they can find other investors, but because there's less available, it, it will raise the cost of capital. It will raise, uh, sorry, it'll raise what? <clears throat> It will raise the cost of capital and ah, the okay. cost of funds that are raising. So instead of paying, you know, 4% for funds, they may have to pay 5 or 6 or 8 or 10. I um, see. And now for fossil fuels, that's a much uh, uh, greater stretch because the industry is so prevalent and represents up to 5% of uh, the average index of stocks. So... Uh, will a little divestment make a difference? It will certainly calls attention to the concern from a moral point of view. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, uh, a number of large funds now are on board with it, including recently the Norway's uh, Sovereign Fund and uh, California had uh, two of their uh, employee unions, uh, large pension trusts, Several universities, several cities have decided to uh, divest, it. and in a matter of about a year, it's gone to over a trillion dollars of uh, funds that have committed not to invest in fossil fuels. So that wow. that it actually is significant, and it's, the movement has caught on much faster than expected, and it actually will uh, affect investors' perceptions of. Uh, Oh, that's great news. I, I I think of the the I don't know children's book that I saw when I was little of um, that has this. I just remember the illustration of the great big fish, and then all the little fish kind of forming into the shape of a bigger fish to scare right. <laughs> to scare away. That so that it's a it's a really um, nice example of how you know all of our little efforts can can actually make a, a significant impact. So, um, um, it's amazing. I, I actually heard Naomi Klein, uh, who's a writer and activist, uh, speak a couple of weeks ago, and she was saying that she uh, was surprised that the divestment movement uh, has grown as fast and has had as many successes that it had. 
and more so than any other movement that she's witnessed in the past. So. That's that's great, and I, I'm very familiar with her, and so I know she's she's <laughs> had a, a, um, a kind of a bird's eye view on a lot of movements. So that's that's exciting. Um, so um, so I'm aware of the idea of of divestment in institutions like schools. I'm excited to hear that there's cities that are doing the same, and and I I think. Um, you know, schools, it's about their endowment. I'm imagining for cities, it's about people's 401ks. And is there more to it than that? Um, um, do cities have... There's a large... Most um, municipal uh, city-state uh, workers operate under pension plans oh, rather right. than a 401k like much of the private sector. Uh, okay. So uh, as a result, those pension plans control something on the order of uh, 5 to $6 trillion of assets in the U.S. And so there's a great movement there for pension funds and their employees to say you know, what they're investing in. And so uh, there were a couple of recent wins in California um, at where large you know, public employee unions had said that they were going to invest. And, and those make that a major difference because their major shareholders in a number of companies. Mm. So for the individual who's looking at their mutual funds and, and their retirement accounts, what do you recommend as a place to start just to begin to sort of tackle this as a as an effort? reading on the there's good advice on the 350.org uh, website about starting that process um, but it you know it's it's first action that they suggest is to, if you have a financial uh, somebody who's managing your financial portfolio for you that you go to them first and one thing that I like about that is that if they're not uh, engaged in that area it's encouraging them to get engaged in that area because their customer base is asking for it and, and uh, in my professional life, I'm working with financial advisors uh, on impact investing, which uh, fossil-free uh, is, is one component of that. And uh, I, I can say that it is the uh, hottest topic in the field at this point, that, that advisors are clamoring to learn more about investment in fossil fuel and what uh, products or investments are available. And it uh, dominates 
of conversation at conferences um, where people are trying to understand and grasp how do they incorporate this into professional management of uh, individuals' funds. So it, it, it's kind of fun to see how the divestment movement has caught the public eye, and that in turn has led people to go to their financial advisors, which is changing the industry from the inside now as they're trying to find products that will satisfy those requirements. Wow, that really speaks to a large demand. That's, wow, that's great. Um, it, it's, it's actually, it actually gives me hope. <laughs> I see that it's taking place. I, I see that uh, there are individuals that are working with that. Uh, and and then just a couple of days ago, the uh, Treasury Department came out with uh, a revised definition of or clarification of fiduciary responsibility, which said that uh, private foundations can, in fact, consider factors other than financial return in uh, structuring uh, structuring their investments if it's consistent with the the uh, private uh, foundation's goals or stated objectives. So, so that's that's actually funny mm. news because. Yeah. Uh, you know, sadly, that uh, definitions of fiduciary responsibility prevented uh, some, or at least caused some advisors to shy away from uh, fossil free investments. Yeah, and that. Uh, but the floors are now opening. And and it it speaks to um, uh, a potential for corporations having it. Is I mean, maybe you, this is the same exact thing, but it sounds to me like there's a little bit of a line still where. Like my understanding has been that a corporation's responsibility to their investors has always been to make them more money, um, right. and and now there's a little bit of an opening here where the mission of the organization it sounds like it's based based on the mission of that organization. So so uh, there's a little room to redefine missions a bit that that we're actually benefiting the world in general should kind of be a bottom line. You're exactly right. I, when I went through my MBA program, that, uh, uh, I went through one course and was talking about the organization. And they said, you know, corporations really are not people. And that's a good lesson for all of us. Corporations are not people. That They're actually just a nexus of contracts. Right. And the contracts are with their employees and with their shareholders and their bondholders and their customers and their vendors and the community that they live in. And and by agreeing with all of those forces, they actually form a legal entity. Right. And that was actually, I thought, a nice clarification of what is a corporation. I then went to my next class, which was in finance, and they said, the role of employees and corporations are to maximize the wealth of the shareholders. <laughs> and I remember at the time asking, well, I just left the class where they said that there's a nexus of contracts with numerous stakeholders. What about everyone else? And, and the response was, well, corporations realize that for them to be sustainable over the time, they called it um, viable for the long term, but they have to be aware of all these other stakeholders and treat them fairly. But the goal is to maximize the wealth of shareholders. Huh. And what's exciting now is that there are 
uh, new forms of corporate structure being formed called beneficial corporations, where corporations not only are allowed to consider other factors besides just the wealth of the shareholder, but they're actually required to do it if they become a beneficial corporation. Mm. And in many parts of the world, there's stock markets now that report on uh, metrics that talk about the sustainability and the transparency and the uh, environmental record of the company uh, as part of their financial bodies. So there is a real shift taking place within corporate structures to enable and empower them to be responsible citizens. That's very good to hear. That's really good to hear. So what about, okay, I'm, I'm in the position of, as, of someone who has some mutual funds that have sort of been around. We don't really touch them, but it's time to reconsider. Um, but what about someone who's just starting out and they ha- they're wanting to think about their future and invest wisely? So is the fossil fuel, what was it called? Fossil free? Remind me again. Fossil free funds, right. Um, uh, fossilfreefunds.org is that a resource for them as well that i mean where would you so they have a list of of recommended um investments no they, they don't recommend they just uh, simply go through all of the mutual funds that are there that are out in the um in the market and they evaluate where they're invested and then they report back which ones are uh, fossil free and which ones uh, contain and they identify the percentage of the investments that are uh, fossil fuel based. Okay. And so it's easy to parse out and remove the the worst offenders and uh, mm-hmm. include uh, include funds that do not contain fossil fuel. Okay. Um, and back to institutions for a minute. Um, I mean, I've heard lots about schools that we talked about government a little. Um, how How is this happening or what is it like on the front of, of private organizations that have retirement accounts for their employees? Is there much activity there in terms of divestment? You know, it, it's um, the corporations themselves generally don't invest in the stock of other companies. So they, okay. they will manage their uh, their investments more in uh, you know debt the treasury notes and that type of thing that just have a place to earn interest on their uh, cash but but they do make large investments uh, uh, through committees for 401k plans mm. and actually what I would encourage everyone to do is to go to their employer and say I want to have an alternative among the funds that I can choose from in my 401k which is socially and environmentally responsible. Mm. And, uh, and that is just, just beginning to emerge. There's a few companies now that offer that. And, uh, and there's no reason why everyone can, because there are numerous funds that, that are uh, available. Right, and so, sin- since employees are the ones deciding which one they're going to use in their, particular, their personal um, portfolio, that sounds easy. Yeah. Right. And, and usually if you have a 401k, you'll have a choice of, you know, 10 to 20 uh, different funds that you can invest in. And if one of those doesn't give you a choice for socially or res- uh, environmentally responsible investments, why not? And, and it, that should be an option. So uh, an employee can ask their, uh, 
That's great. So what do you see as the, um, as the edge here, where, where the growing edge of this movement? What, what do you see as where the challenges lie right now? I think the challenge, honestly, is um, uh, how do we transition from a fossil fuel-based economy to one that's a renewable economy? Mm-hmm. And uh, so there are there are issues around uh, utilities that are built up that have large power plants and distribution right. networks. To now, if you had solar rooftop generation. You have distributed generation, and you don't need all that infrastructure, mm-hmm. uh, or you need different infrastructure. And um, and there's regulatory issues around uh, ensuring that consumers have the ability and the access to at, at a fair price to uh, to utilize renewable energy. And in some states like Arizona, which is you know, the sun is state in the United States, or maybe Florida is, but uh, both those states are high in uh, uh, solar potential, and yet many of the uh, laws make it prohibitive for their uh, citizens to use alternative energy. And and then I think, you know, at the federal level, um, you know, ever since I was a child, we've been talking about we need a comprehensive energy policy. And... Uh, and that policy, I think, would uh, entail, do we put a carbon tax on fossil fuels, recognizing there's many costs in terms of health and uh, environmental degradation and sick time from employers that are not captured uh, when a company buys a trainload of coal? Um, mm-hmm. So how do we put a tax back on those companies so that it helps offset the cost that the public has to pay to meet this cost. Right. And, uh, and then finally, you know, follow the money trail that, uh, that tax policy should change so that it's, it's encouraging our future and not clinging to the past. Hmm. And, and when you say that, are you referring to, for instance, um, subsidies on oil? Or uh, rather than right, right, right. and it's, you know, understandably, when uh, when the, com- the country was trying to grow, it put uh, favorable tax treatments in place to encourage oil companies and coal companies to develop new reserves and to to explore and build them, and, and they got very favorable tax treatment. Those policies are still in place, and yet. We extract one fifth of the known reserves in the ground and burn them. Right. We will go over two degrees centigrade uh, increase, which will be, uh, according to ninety-seven percent of the scientists, a um, a very different future for the Earth than one that we would we don't want to live in. Right. Yeah, it is amazing to think about how much financial pressure there is to extract those resources and that there's five times as much as scientists are willing to to um, green light, basically. Right. I think that the other thing that's interesting, too, there's, um, there's uh, good work that's taken place by uh, originally by a group called Carver Tracker and now a, a couple of other 
were set to pick up the mantle. And and they approached this idea of uh, fossil fuels and reserves in the ground as a risk. And they're talking to two financial investors saying, if you know that we can't burn more than 20% of the proven reserves, you have to expect that either through cataclysmic changes or through regular regulation or uh, shifts to renewable energy, that it's very likely that 80% of those reserves will not be consumed. Right. And so what's that do to the valuation of those companies that you're investing in? Because basically you're investing in the known reserves, assuming that you can sell that at some price. Right. And, and that's called stranded assets. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it means that those companies are going to have to leave significant portions of the reserves in the ground. Um, and because of that, it won't be sold. Therefore, those companies have much lower valuations. Right. And that's an interesting uh, interesting work that's underway. Yeah, I'm, I was reading about, um, about how... Uh, financial projections are made ab- about those, uh, uh, for specifically about fossil fuels, and talking about. Um, and I, I don't remember it all very clearly, but it was, it was the idea was that um, that the projections for each year were need to be that you're going to have at least I think it was a hundred percent as much of the resource that you had the year before before it started to scare investors that, that there's less and less. Um, do you know what I'm referring to here? Um, I can understand the logic there, but I'm, I'm really not familiar with how. Okay, so th- this is. I think I'm getting this out of. Um, uh, I read Naomi Klein's book about uh, uh, capitalism versus the climate. This changes everything, and she was talking about the way, um, the way that and that the red flag that goes up when. Um, a company that's that's selling oil isn't able to promise that they're going to have as much, at least as much oil as they had last year, and that they they may be um, that they may have been making decisions where they shut down um, sort of exploratory alternative energy um, branches of of their company that were just trying trying out the new stuff because they felt like it scared off investors that they were moving away from oil and they needed to redouble their efforts to get more oil. And, um, and I mean, I, I kind of feel like that, that it's, it's, it's reasonable to think that, that people's thinking will evolve a little bit beyond this pretty quickly, especially seeing all the divestment and, and, and with, um, the UN conference coming up where it's very likely that there'll be movements towards creating some kind of, um, a global agreement about carbon tax um, that right. people will move towards seeing seeing that it actually does make sense for these companies to be moving towards uh, my my husband was saying, what if it wasn 't shell oil but shell energy, and would that if they had a different identity um, each of those companies i 'm hopeful too <laughs> it, it, it is interesting and uh, you know maybe it 's interesting parallel uh, that um, early in my career I worked at Eastern Kodak and and they produced incredibly high quality photographic images and helped develop that industry uh, but were reluctant 
to digital um, imaging because that was a threat to the traditional uh, product line they had, and certainly because they dominated that, it was a very high profit, highly profitable business. Right. And and so it it is very difficult for companies to cannibalize their most profitable product. Right. And once they have proven, you know, in fossil companies, once you have proven reserves that you they're in the ground and you have permitting and you have mines or wells in place, mm-hmm. it, the incremental cost is actually much lower than uh, discovering oil for the first time or going to mm-hmm. a new location. So it's very difficult for a company to say we're going to try to find replacements for that uh, that product that is very profitable for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and and my take on it is that that, that internal company, you know, based on uh, one data point of a corporation, it's very difficult for a company to cannibalize itself. And so um, if they want to participate, I would suggest that they, you know, consider spinning off that into a separate effort and uh, and have a, have a separate company uh, that's focused 100% on making it successful. Mm, okay, that's interesting. Um, anything else you would like to say, or you feel like people should know or think about? Well, I, you know, I understand that not everyone shares kind of uh, the enthusiasm or the interest in uh, the business side of uh, this question. Uh, I think that the divestment movement was taking on quite a challenge to try to get. You know, college students and the average citizens interested in uh, endowments changing where they were investing. That it's not like a rallying cry uh, that that's easily adopted. And yet, that movement, along with regulation and and public opinion, are critical to to the success of the industry and 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 renewable uh, energy and conservation. And if we don't. If we don't make those changes, the changes may be slow in happening, and that's part of the issue, that, that people don't see it day to day. But the change is certainly real, and it, it's a huge threat to to all of our futures. And so if, you know, if people care about futures, then they, they need to step up and take action and, uh, and probably make a difference in drug lives and how, how energy is used and how it's produced. Yeah. Well, I heard somebody talk about, um, talk about the current economic situation as the oil bubble, just like we had the housing bubble and, um, tech bubble. And, and, um, and I really love that because it, it, speaks to a really optimistic point of view about the future of our planet. And also it's so practical. It's such a practical kind of orientation to, to your personal finance or your institutional finance, which is to say, this can't go on. And, you know, in one way or another, it's going to collapse. And, um, and it's so sort of forward thinking in so many different ways to, to act on that. So, I really appreciate that there's people like you out there who are offering professional tools and guidance to um, help uh, all of us who are not that 
versed in this world of finance um, find our way towards a better path. So I really appreciate that. Um, do you want to say anything about what your company does before we wrap up? Uh, sure. Um, uh, I'm working uh, with a company called Mission Markets, and we're helping investors find ways to incorporate their values into their investments. So uh, offering alternative um, uh, companies that are either focused on social or environmental uh, outcomes. So um, I would invite people to visit our website at www.missionmarkets.com. So thank you so much, Ken. It's been really a pleasure talking to you. I know you have a meeting soon, so I don't want to keep you too long, but I, I really love talking to you. And if there's ever any development that you um, would like to people to know about and want to just shoot me an email, um, I'd be happy to talk again or even just to let people know whatever you passed along. Okay. Well, thank you very much for that. And, uh, and likewise, if uh if you wish to talk about, uh, you know, developments that you see uh, either politically or financially, you know, I'm happy to chat. Oh, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. And um, have a great day. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, thank you. Yep, thank you. Bye for now. So I'm still here. I'm just going to wrap up with you guys. I wasn't the best phone connection, so I'm hoping that you could hear him. Um, <clears throat> I'll do my best in post, <laughs> um, trying to tweak the, the knobs and such so that um, I can try to get his voice a little crisper. Um, <clears throat> um, so, yes, he works for Mission Markets, missionmarkets.com, and recommended some some resources which i will link to um in the show notes for this um the website for the podcast is hellocc.info short for hello climate change um going to continue to have conversations with people so we can wake up and take action on this topic um i welcome your comments and feedback and questions and suggestions um you can contact me through that website have a great one bye